we're back at EarthX in Dallas, Texas at Fair Park and uh, setting up in the uh, Women's Museum. You never know who's going to walk in the door. I believe Trammell Crow sent a special guest to us today, Reverend Mitchell Hescotch. And uh, we, I understand, Mitch, we can call you Mitch. Absolutely. Uh, tell us what brings you to EarthX and, uh, and about your organization. Well, I've been coming to EarthX now, I think, for four or five years, and I've come to be part of the conferences beforehand and to speak there. But the Evangelical Environmental Network is a ministry that began 26 years ago. I've actually been the president for 11 years, and our mission is to educate the Evangelical Church on God's commandment to care for God's creation, and then to take that biblical mandate to do policy work, to educate politicians that God has commanded us to care for his creation and everything in it. You know, it's such an important discussion because in our political system in the United States, everyone's welcome at the table. The evangelical community is a very important part of the political dialogue in America. what do you see typically in uh, the perspective of the evangelical community when it comes to an issue like the environment or climate? I think what's happened in the evangelical world is the disinformation campaign has played into the fears of a lot of evangelicals. Most evangelicals are highly conservative. They don't like big government. They like the, the Protestant yeah. work ethic. And so when the anti-climate movement really got geared up and really pressed those things, that climate change was all about big government. It was all about polar bears. It was all about Al Gore. And part of my job is saying, no, it's not. It's all about being a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, Colossians chapter 1 says the entire earth was created for, by, and through Jesus Christ, not Mm -hmm. for us. Mm. And so that sticks home. But even more importantly, the first thing I do when I talk to people is to say, you know, I ask people if I'm in a congregation, even on Sunday morning, you know, if you have a child or grandchild that has asthma, would you stand up? or ADHD, or autism, or severe allergies. And then I say simply, look around the room, and literally 75 to 90% of the people are standing up. Wow. And I say, if you aren't concerned about God's creation for God's view, you need to be concerned about it for your own kids and grandkids. Because one in three children in America have one of those four A's, and they're all definitively linked to how we use fossil fuels and petrochemicals. Wow. I didn't know either of those things. And, and so that's the thing that we're coming well, Just like here, um, the American Lung Association State of the Air report came out this week. The 2019 report over the 2018 report shows that 43 million people, excuse me, 43% of the American population, 8 million more than last year, live in areas of failing air quality. Our air quality is getting worse in the United States, and one of the leading reasons it's getting worse is that ozone levels are increasing because hydrocarbons plus NOx plus sunlight plus heat makes ozone bad and increases it. And for those that don't know, ozone, with how the American Lung Association describes ozone, especially when it's um, ozone impacting asthmatic lungs, is it's like having those lungs be sunburned severely. Ooh. So picture that in your mind is that mm-hmm. ozone levels, ground level ozones go up, you're literally burning the inside of your child's or your own lungs. Okay. Man, so what you're suggesting, I think two reasons why it matters uh, from an evangelical perspective, uh, 
first of all, it's God's creation that was built for God and created for God, and it is not ours to use and abuse, mm-hmm. first of all. And secondly, how we uh, connect to this natural world that was created and given to us, uh, if we do do a bad job of that, it's a implication for our own health, safety, and welfare. Oh, oh, absolutely. In fact, the Bible even says that. You know, in Isaiah chapter 24, it says that human beings destroy the earth because they don't follow God's commandments. Mm. And I jokingly say when I talk at churches, I say that, you know, everybody reads those, the two books of the Bible that those basic sustainability guides are in. You know, it talks about crop rotation and animal husbandry and clean water and they're in numbers in leviticus so it's a standard theological biblical joke okay but they're there but the object is is that god created a sustainable world and through our pollution our messing up our screwing up literally of god's creation we are impacting the health of human beings and all of creation you know besides the, the ones that i mentioned earlier Breast cancer is going up in the United States in women, up over 30% by the year 2030. And that comes from the National Institute of Cancer. And they believe that it's environmental. Yeah. Number one being the increase in hormone mimicking chemicals in the world. And right. you know, we're taking our young boys and we're, they have low sperm counts. So we're literally making ourselves infertile by the way we pollute God's creation. And then you put climate change on top of that and exacerbates it because mm. every single person in the world is impacted by climate. Yep. And the way I like to think about it is it's the greatest moral challenge of our time because all of us are impacted. But it's also the greatest opportunity for hope. Wow, that's a statement. Help us understand that. Because if we get serious about acting on climate, we're going to reduce chemicals in our water and in our air and in our ground. We're gonna have pure air again. We're gonna be able to have clean energy that can be used not only in the United States, but we can power the developing world where energy poverty exists and turn that into energy poverty. In fact, the other night, Secretary Perry basically was alluding to that we needed central generating stations and transmission lines across Africa. and. Yeah. No disrespect. That's a bunch of malarkey. Right. Distributed power may be the better way to go. Well, it's absolutely. The I leapfrog. A, I wrote a book on climate change, and one of the things I argue in there is there's not enough money in the world to put transmission lines across Africa, let alone build central generating stations. Right. And you can come here at EarthX and see people who are already doing that, building distributed electricity, village-owned, village-empowered, steel market-based system. People are making profits. Right. But because they're making profits, they're also taking care of it. Yeah. So I think having clean air, clean water, good jobs, empowering the people who don't have energy today makes this the greatest opportunity for hope. Wow. That is a powerful message, and it is a win-win-win. It's a different understanding of why the United States should continue its leadership in the world on issues of climate and issues of energy particularly. It's the new economy that we're about to go into. It's Uh, already here. It's not the new economy. I mean, it's it's not future. It's here. It's here now. I mean, if you look at the Lazard levelized cost of energy that comes out every November, utility-sized wind is the cheapest way to generate electricity worldwide, especially in the United States. Mm -hmm. Utility-sized solar is number two. In fact, in their 2017 report, 
they made the bold, bullish statement that if utilities were smart, they would shutter all their coal plants right now and turn to wind or solar because they would be economically, no matter if they wrote off the cost, they would still come out ahead economically. Financially. And, uh, you know, Texas, we're in the number one wind power producing state in the United States, the great state of Texas. We did put four and a half billion dollars into transmission from West Texas into the urban parts, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston. Uh, and, that, and Governor Perry, when he was the governor before he was uh, Secretary of Energy, was a leader in that renewable energy uh, a transition in Texas. Um, I'm curious about this. When I hear about the discussion on climate and environmental health, um, in the in, in in the United States, and particularly in the evangel from the evangelical perspective, I come across this dominion idea a lot. That this the earth was given to us, we have dominion over the earth, and that seems to be a, a, a real cornerstone of the notion that this is ours to use as we see fit. We've been given this power, and by golly, this stuff is anti-biblical, anti-Christian to talk about. This is some of these ideas. Oh, that's, you know, I think it's actually a very false interpretation of the Bible. Psalm 22 still says that dominion belongs to the Lord. But number one, we've had, and scholars have fought over this since the Middle Ages, is you know, nobody speaks Old Hebrew anymore. But the word that's in the Bible, Rahab, that talks about, is translated often as dominion, is only used in seven other places in the Bible. And the most common of those is in Ezekiel where it uses the word Rahab to describe how poor and bad the Israel's kings were of shepherding their people. Mm. So most 19th or 20th century and 21st century biblical scholars argue very strongly that that word dominion or is translated really means to be shepherds, to be good stewards, right. to use something wisely. And I think just about everybody that I know other than those might be extremely to the right on their theological position would agree with that because it makes sense just if you know a couple verses after that in chapter one genesis two fifteen says we are to care and tend the garden and from my biblical view when it talks about the garden in genesis it's talking about the whole world because right. genesis is describing the whole known world at the time the creation the creation you know from the tigris to the euphrates to the nile right and so it's lifting up a picture of the middle east and from a biblical perspective that was their entire world in those days that's all they really gathered and saw and so god always has commanded us to take care of it in fact one of the things that i very strongly believe in is that if you don't take care of god's creation then you really can't have a good relationship with God. Mm. And the easy way to dis describe that, if you know, if a friend of yours, is, you know, asked to borrow your car, and then goes out and gets drunk and wrecks your car, you're not going to be very happy with that friend. Right. You're not going to have a good relationship with that friend. And so think about what God does when we trash His creation, mm. a world that was designed and literally created to breed abundant life, to bring hope for human beings, for plants and animals, to thrive, to soar. And we throw plastics in our oceans and raise our temperature up and you know, give the earth a fever. And it's just so terribly sad that so many of the church see that. But the good news is, the good news is, is that when you start 
when I visit local churches, whether it's a Southern Baptist church or an Assembly of God church or an independent church, when I start talking about creation care in biblical terms and also within our values, mm. I mean, for me, creation care is a pro-life issue. I believe that life begins at creation and we have a biblical responsibility to care for it till natural death. And so the way we pollute our children is a pro-life issue to me. And so talking about it in caring for life and then the Bible, churches respond. Yeah. How has the reception been? Obviously, this has, uh, uh, unfortunately, in America, the discussion, well, really around the world, but the discussion of how we relate to the natural environment is a highly political discussion. It's a scientific discussion, of course, and a policy discussion, but it fits in and is sort of, uh, I don't know, ground up in the political dialogue into some other kind of sausage. Um, so it's not an easy thing to talk about. Um, how is the, what, what, what's your take on the reception? Well, I think it's been very good. I mean, uh, in the past uh, four and a half years, we've gotten over five million pro-life Christians to take action for us on policy issues. Wow. Uh, including just in the, uh, the 17th of April, I turned in to um, EPA Administrator Mr. Wheeler almost 150,000 comments from pro-life Christians asking him not to remove the mercury and air toxic standard, yeah. which he is a terrible thing that he's doing. Um, and that's a pro-life issue. We, in our community, the Catholic and evangelical community, got the mercury and air toxic standard through in 2012 because it was a pro-life issue. If people don't realize mercury, yeah takes away, before the, the mass rule was put into place, the mercury and air toxic standard, one in six children in the United States were born with brain damage from mercury poisoning from coal-fired power plants. Since that rule has been put in place, that number is already cut in half. Amazing. And this is a case where we can approach a problem like that. It is technologically feasible to undertake it, and it just kind of boggles the mind why you wouldn't well, if you can reduce a risk like that. Well, and it's actually even politically, I don't understand it. I mean, I did a briefing in Washington, D.C., and sitting on my left was the vice president of legal affairs for the Edison Electric Institute, the actual yeah. advocacy policy group for all the publicly or the, all the consumer, not consumer, yeah, the consumer utilities, public utilities. And they don't want it to roll because they've already spent the money and it works. Right. You know, even the Chamber of Commerce, who's been really hard against environmental regulation, said that we should keep the roll. Mm. And it is mystifying, and I think I know the reasons, but they're long shape. You know, we're not giving up the fight. But just back to your comments, people, of that 150,000 comments that we turned in, roughly two-thirds, no, almost 75% came from states that voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah. And people are see it. When you talk about caring for God's creation in ways about human health and about biblical values from somebody like me who is an evangelical, people understand and they start listening and paying attention. It's about love and care. I mean, these are fundamental principles of Jesus's message and and it just seems to me that it's hard to interpret uh, the biblical message to to allow for exploitation or wasteful use of of your life or yourself or your 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 your, 
your environment. I, it seems hard to get to that. Well, and I think it's what happened is fear. Okay. When, you know, when the laws changed, when more money could be put into politics and there was this great big campaign by the fossil fuel industry to discredit climate scientists and come up with their own science, that fit into the conservative values of many Americans. And I equate it scripturally to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Remember, Caleb and Joseph came back saying, you know, this is the promised land. I mean, here's these giant fruit. But, you know, Adam said, well, there's giants in the land and, you know, we can't take it. We should be afraid. And even throughout the Exodus wanderings, you know, the most common fear was or statement was, you know, we knew how we were going to die in Egypt, so at least let's go back there. Right. And so this campaign and disinformation campaign fed into that basic human fear of not liking change, not mm-hmm. liking those values. And so to me, it is a biblical remedy that we have to keep preaching and keep talking that, you know, we can enter a new promised land, that hope that I talked about. We can live in a better world if we address climate change, and not just because of climate change, but because it will offer new jobs, a new economy, and a lot cleaner air, water, and land. Yep, and our safer children, happier people. I, it, it's an encouraging message. Uh, the Reverend Mitchell Hescox Hescox uh, with the Evangelical Environmental Network here at EarthX in Dallas, Texas. Such an important voice in the discussion, uh, I think, in America today. I hope you uh, continue to do what you do so well. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? I guess, you know, truly for those who, you know, are people of faith or evangelical Christians or of faith, one of the greatest things you can do is to go and take a walk in God's creation. Mm. Look at how there's different kinds of birds where you live today than there was 20 years ago. Look at the different kind of plants. Know that even like in Dallas, the average temperature is three and a half degrees warmer than it was 20 years ago. My 92-year-old dad, um, still alive, still lives by himself, he and my mom lives up, was a coal miner. And one day sitting at his kitchen table, he just looked at me and said, you know, we don't have the snows we used to have. My fruit trees in the backyard bloom a lot sooner. And it's about time we do something about this climate change before it gets Mm. too late. Wow. And I just think that's the biggest thing. We need to get out Take a walk in creation, look at it, sense it, let God speak to you through it, and then hear the message that it really, to being a good disciple of Christ, you need to take care of what Jesus owns. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for the time and the opportunity to have you on the American Shoreline Podcast, and uh, we really appreciate the message. Thank you very much.